Announcement. The revolution will not be televised. I repeat, the hemp revolution will not be televised. Welcome to the Hemp Revolution Podcast, the global hotspot for the buzz and the cannabis. Hear the secrets of the green rush from the dreamers who are writing the rules, innovating business, and changing history forever. Immerse yourself with the fascinating stories from the leaders in the hemp health revolution to learn how we are changing the game. Now here's your hosts, James Brinkerhoff and Sonia Gomez. What's up, guys? Sonia Gomez coming to you from Denver, Colorado on another Rock Your Socks episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast, where we are sharing and telling the real story of cannabis and hemp through the eyes of the entrepreneurs who are pushing this incredible industry forward. As you know, it is our commitment and mission to empower you with the truth about cannabis so that you can make educated decisions about how you want to care for yourself and your family or otherwise participate in the growth of this incredible industry. Shoot me a message, Sonia at medicalsecrets.com if you're a budding entrepreneur trying to break through some glass ceilings and brick walls. And if you're someone looking for products that you can depend on, whether it's hand sanitizer all the way through to high milligram dosages of CBD, check us out at medicalsecrets.com. Happy to offer some information and direction on which products will work best. Once again, you guys, you can thank me later or now, whichever is fine. Um, we have an incredible guest with us. Once again, we have unearthed some of the best. And I enjoyed my conversation with the Valaris team so much last time that I decided to uh, bring in one more guest from their innovative and incredible company. Chance, who is our guest for today, brings a rare combination of education and experience in both business and hemp cultivation. He's germinated his first cannabis seed in 1999 and has been growing and consulting ever since with the transition to hemp specific in 2017. He has worked closely with both local and federal officials, similar to myself, and agencies to both mold policy and ensure that the farmers are understood and represented. Chances consistently advocate, uh, uh, advancing, excuse my, excuse my little tongue twist there, advancing overall knowledge and in industry direction through involvement in teaching, think tanks, seminars, research projects, and classes at universities like Tel Aviv uh, University and University of Colorado in Boulder. With successful farm operations in California, Colorado, and Nevada, he has also had he also has real world experience in solving farm problems in massively different geographic. Uh, geographies. If you guys put your hands together now and help me welcome my good friend, Chance Dite. How's it going? Great. Great to be here. That energy is amazing. I love it. Thank you. I'm I'm so excited to have you guys back on. Absolutely love what Cultivarist is all about. The history that you guys carry. I mean, I have obviously done some pretty invasive research into your professional and personal lives. Sorry, not sorry. Digging up all of the dirt. Um and however, not everyone has been so lucky. Fortunately, they would have listened to our previous podcast with founder and owner. Um, and if you guys have not checked that out, go ahead and check that episode out on medicalsecrets.com. Rockin', rockin' content there. Um, but Chance, why don't you give us a quick and dirty on who you are, uh, what your background is, and how you ended up in the cannabis craze? Background is pretty much serial entrepreneur, done all kinds of different stuff, uh, real estate. Um, had a water company, 
uh, wellness company I still have with a medical director, but always been a strong advocate and lover of cannabis. In fact, my speech classes in high school all the way back then and even in college, my topics were always on cannabis, which caught some kind of heat from the teacher. But regardless, I got A's. I'm not worried about it. But, uh, you know, I've been in and out of cannabis, um, have been commercially working in it since 2007 in terms of working with grows and consulting friends. Um, and then just kind of transitioned over to hemp. I just see a, I mean, obviously hemp and cannabis is cannabis. So hemp is just kind of a federal, federal clear, uh, classification. It is cannabis, True. but, um, just in terms of understanding the topic, uh, moved over to hemp. I just see a huge global impact, um, from hemp that is outside of the medical um, arena of it in terms of cannabis, but there's a huge global impact that can happen with hemp in terms of the fiber, grain, seed, the 75,000 products that people always talk about that you can make from it. So I just think that that's an avenue that I wanted to pour into, especially since there is also the medical side of it, because I come from a wellness background. Um, I just think there's so much opportunity here. It's just, it's like a, a virgin industry that's reemerging since it was around at some point. It's like you, like your site is medical uh, secrets. It's like the medical secret that has been known for thousands of years, but is now getting rediscovered for whatever reason it needed to get uh, buried and squashed by certain corporate entities. But uh, we're back and we're coming at it as hard as possible. I love how you're like tiptoeing around the fact that our personal. Yeah, no trigger words. No trigger words. <laughs> I'm all about that trigger. We are an uncensored platform, so we can talk about like boobs and. Politics. Nice, all the good stuff. All, yeah, you know, penis right, and politics. Those, the, the no subject is taboo here. Um, you know, especially in the spirit of freedom, which much of our world, certainly our country, is being threatened right now with the idea of freedom or lack thereof. Um, I was talking on another podcast about the contrast that we're going to see in the massive shift that we're experiencing right now post-COVID. There was the pre-COVID existence similar to the pre-9-11 existence, and now we're going to have a post-COVID existence, which is really going to reframe and reshape the way that we engage and interact with each other, certainly on in person. Um, talk to me a little bit about how Cultivaris is preparing and integrating into this new existence. How are you guys prepping or moving into the future of this? Well, first of all, just a comment on the new daily kind of lifestyle that may happen. I heard a survey on the radio the other day and 31% of the people on that survey said that they will never shake hands again. Like we need to get over the living in fear, first of all, and uh, be ready to move past this. Like life will continue. We will learn some things from this and make some adjustments, but we are still humans and we are still supposed to be interacting and hugging and getting your oxytocin and all kinds of stuff. So uh, we need to, number one, stop living in fear. But in terms of, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just getting ridiculous. Um, I'm hugging every motherfucking buddy. So I'm not a handshaker. I'm a hugger. So yeah, <laughs> keep your freaking handshake. I'm coming yeah. in dirty. <laughs> Truth. I mean, me too. Full frontal. So uh, in terms of the company, uh, you know, it's the hemp industry in general took a hit last year. So that had its impact. Then you have the interim rules come out 2019. Then that had an impact. And then let's just sprinkle in a pandemic just to make it all freaking nice and neat. Uh, so it's been, uh, 
a very interesting year in terms of hemp, but in terms of what we're doing to prepare, honestly, it's kind of business as usual because um, it's it, it needs to continue. We're considered essential, but some of the minor shifts that we've made is just interactions and contacts when people are touring the facility. Um, but farmers are farmers, man. They're out there doing the shit like they can't stop. So visiting farms, going out there and um, helping them out and doing soil samples, doing all these types of things like it can't stop. Like we need to continue to move forward. Um, but a, a cool thing about this though, is that it's got virus and infections and all that on the forefront of people's minds, which is what we do. Or part of our whole shtick is that we have clean stock, which most people don't even understand what that means. But if you talk to people in horticulture or in the agricultural world, they understand what clean stock is and that you can't bring in diseased plants into across state lines or even in the counties because it risks the infection of whatever their cash crop is. Like for here, Orange County, California, or I'm technically in San Diego right now, but a lot of citrus. So if there's certain viruses that are coming in on plants, say like hemp that can infect citrus plants, it's going to be a major issue to the economy here. So with this in the forefront of everybody's mind, it could help us understand that starting out clean, preventative uh, maintenance is paramount. And we're just ahead of the curve on that in terms of uh, cleaning up our, our young plants and keeping them clean here with a extensive sanitation protocol. So for us, it's just, I mean, we've already kind of been in that boat. We're already kind of ready for it. But the only major difference is um, the impact that it's had on the uh, whole industry in general and then just interactions. But I'm finding most people are pretty chill with it, especially farmers. I mean, they're just good old boys have been in the dirt their whole life. So they're healthier than most people. Yeah. <laughs> They've been properly inoculated with exactly. all necessary microbes. Um, exactly. Talk to me a little bit about your key role in the company of Cultivaris. It's becoming a, you know, you guys are a big deal. You have a really rich history and I'd love to hear how your specific role um, and areas of expertise um, are playing the part there. Yeah, it's actually interesting how it all went down. So a lot of people like to talk shit about social media, but used properly, social media is an amazing tool. Like we're connecting right now, probably because of something that happened to do with social media. For sure. There's access to people that there's never been before. So I mean, now is the time to network and start to develop your relationships, especially in hemp cannabis, because everything is kind of still building and you can have access to these people that you probably won't in like five years. So now's the time to network. But that being said, I actually met Josh through Instagram um, like a year, year and a half ago, something like that. And we just kind of stayed in contact. We're just chatting here and there. Um, Cause I had my own hemp company. I still have two personal farms of my own, one in Nevada and one in Colorado. And then just over the course of like meeting these guys over and over, I just, I fell in love with their company, fell in love with their heart in, in terms of like what they are looking to do and the impact that they want to make on the industry as a whole. And then they had a, a hole that they needed to fill um, because they don't just want to sell some shit and then say, okay, good luck. They want to, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. So they're trying to build up this entire industry. And that starts with the farmers in our network. So they wanted to make sure that there was a kind of like a handholder or like an educational piece to their whole setup so that people could come in, get educated, and then also get the top quality plants that they need to grow and have a successful season. So I still have two farms, 
that I'm managing in two different states. But I came on board with these guys to just do education and farmer relations. So it's like an add-on um, to their whole product. And that most people will charge for consulting or charge for visits or whatever. It's just included with us because we want to take care of the farmer and make sure that they get their questions answered or just be a shoulder to cry on when they're having issues and their family won't listen and they're talking shit about how they want to be a farmer, whatever it might be. Um, we've been there. We understand it. And we can help them walk through some stuff. So I literally came on board just to do farmer relations and education. So I'm writing manuals. Uh, we're making a ton of blog posts now. We're going to start doing videos, podcasts. Just want to be a major source of education for the whole industry in general, and then specific for our farmers too. What do you think the biggest challenge is for the farmer beyond the technical solutions that you guys provide? What it, what are you finding when you're out there in the field or being a farmer yourself? What are some of the biggest challenges that you guys are up against in being able to do your piece well? Um, and I think you, you could not have said it better when you said, you know, starting with the farmer that stabilizes the entire industry and sort of sets the tone, right? And so really empowering them to be successful is the best thing that you guys can do to serve the industry as a whole. Um, right. There are really unique challenges in every facet of this industry, uh, m- much of which we have discussed pertaining to the retail side, which is normal shit like getting a bank account or being able to run a, a you know a marketing camp a campaign or meeting right. a merchant processor, stabilized supply chain. I mean, the the challenges have been endless. Uh, the challenges have been endless. However, there's really just three or four that govern the whole uh, stress load for the business owner in the, in the hemp space. Um, what is it for you from your perspective that the farmer, um, is up against? What are their biggest challenges? So, well, for starters, we're pioneering. So we've all played Oregon trail. You come up to the river, do you cough the wagon? Do you float across? Do you drive across? Oh, Timmy died of dysentery. You know what I mean? Like pioneering is, is brutal. It's hard. It's going to be hard work. You're the tip of the spear. So we're going to be dealing with a lot of the shit that we're dealing with in terms of new regulations, politics, taxes, DEA trying to get involved, banks not wanting to play ball when it's federally legal. So those are just part of being in the pioneer stage. Um, and it's learning how to navigate all that stuff as you go and having, um, Having some moves, you have to be you have to be nimble. You have to be able to adjust uh, on point when things come up. But the biggest things I'm seeing with farmers are number one is planning and research. So we created a, a preseason checklist and then um, a bunch of other stuff that goes along with it. But too many people are not planning their stuff out. I mean, like from day one into the finish. What so are some of the key to, things that they should plan for? I'm gonna just I'm gonna just interrupt you like a rude ass. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I have to know, cause I want to be really specific when people listen to this, they're going to be listening for the key things that they should think about. And we have budding entrepreneurs and established business owners, folks who've been, you know, first year runners here and everyone is trying to figure out how to do a better job so that they don't lose their ass in this whole venture. Um, right. what, what would you say are three key areas that they should be planning, um, you know, really carefully for? Uh, I would say genetics, your, um, size that you're going to do and then harvest. Those are the biggest or labor. Um, so genetics, labor, and the overall size or capacity of 
everything uh, all together. So labor, uh, the, the two heavy labor parts are going to be planting and harvesting. Harvesting is going to be a little bit more labor intensive. So make sure that you have people ready to roll. Make sure you have it in your budget that you're going to need to pay some people unless you have a big ass family and everybody's willing to work for free or hot dogs. Um, you need to have that stuff locked down. And then genetics, there's so many freaking shysters out there that are selling. <laughs> it's like cannabis. Like as soon as freaking gelato comes out, well, the next day somebody's breeding gelato with something else. Like the, the breeding speed in that industry is insane. And there's no way to lock down any kind of true breeder in anything less than a decade. So nothing's really locked down in terms of genetics on top of the fact that people are saying that they have this 20% CBD variety that's going to come in compliant. No, it ain't. That's impossible. It doesn't exist yet. So what I would say in terms of genetics is do your research, make phone calls, interview, visit facilities if you can, get ratios, get COAs, make sure the COAs are not doctored or altered. Um, and you can see that pretty easily when fonts don't match up or stuff isn't aligned correctly because there are people that are Photoshopping COAs. Then uh, size, start small, do not go big. Nike wasn't doing billions of dollars of sales overnight. Um, in fact, everybody knows Oakley, the sunglass company. They start Their first product that they were making was handlebar grips, not sunglasses. So everybody starts somewhere. So with this especially, start small and then scale, just like any other successful business would. Don't go out and try to get a $6 million loan or... Um, money from friends at that kind of capacity, start small, like an acre even. I don't care if you have 10,000 acres, you need to start small and then scale up from there. Unless you have a ton of equipment and you're coming from farming and you're transitioning, say, corn over to hemp or something along those lines where you have a little bit more actual experience in the game, then maybe you can go a little bit bigger, but still, it's a brand new crop. It's a whole different style. Um, most of that equipment is not going to transition over to hemp. So I would say start small. And then planning your size or your capacity, um, a lot of people underestimate the space needed for the harvest, storing, drying, and all that kind of stuff. Now, depending on geography, you could just dry in the field. There's a lot of people doing that in uh, Colorado even, where you just chop the plant, leave it in the field, and let it dry, which is good for biomass. Absolutely unacceptable if you're going to be trying to sell smokable. So you're going to need like 500 to 1,000 square feet of space to dry per acre. So you need to plan for that in terms of where you're going to do it, how you're going to do it, how you're going to hang it, the equipment you're going to need, the people to hang all that kind of stuff up. And then lastly, you know, and we saw this with last year is selling, um, getting rid of your stuff at the end of the season. <laughs> a lot of people will say, you know, have a contract in hand before you even plant. Well, that's Number one, doesn't mean anything nowadays because people will renege on that contract immediately and you're still stuck with a bunch of weight. Then what are you going to do? Go to court and then pay court costs to try to make that guy come up on his contract. You have to have something in place, somebody that you can trust or at least some kind of idea of how you want to sell it, whether you're going to sell it off wholesale as a bulk of biomass, wholesale off as a flower, or process it down into some oils and try to sell that, um, or go all the way to a consumer product and make like a tincture or a pre-roll or something like that. It depends on your, your connections. It depends on your network and it depends on your ability. If you've never built a brand before and never sold a consumer good, it might be difficult to try to create a tincture and then brand it and sell it online or farmer's markets or wherever you want to sell it. So kind of stay in your wheelhouse or network, 
contract and connect with other people that may have some of those things on lockdown, like you guys with um, branding and marketing in this space to, you know, develop those networks to help you at the end of the season, but labor space genetics and um, what you're going to do at the end of the season. Man, I wish <laughs> I know that there's people listening right now who are like, where the fuck was this guy last year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because people don't talk about that. And I think, you know, amongst the inner circles, there's a lot of folks who are talking about just wondering just what, what the hell happened last year with, you know, the market bottoming out and this overproduction that didn't meet demand and this gross um, distribution of irrelevant and, you know, untrue content simply created for the sole purpose of selling their shit. And it really did a disservice in the industry. And then, you know, farms went upside down. Families watched what happened in the previous year and got all excited and acted like a 16-year-old girl, blew their whole load and their whole wad all over the opportunity. You know, and they're, you know, in really, really bad position now and really great farmers who weren't properly advised or didn't get the right genetics or all of the things that you just talked about, put themselves and their families and their businesses at risk trying to make that transition without any one of those things in place. So I can't, I can't agree with you more or emphasize the importance of working with, um, you know, trustworthy sources all the way through. Yeah. Um, because there's so many pretend- pretenders out there right now who are switching their profiles to be CBD marketers or the self-proclaimed kings or queens of CBD. No, it's the same um, thing as out here. Like everybody's an actor or a real estate agent or a waiter. It's like, you know, now everybody's a CBD broker or, or a hemp expert. It's the same. It's the same kind of shift. Everybody's kind of jumping on this wagon, which is what we saw happen in 2019. When you see licenses, and this is estimated or rough numbers, licenses in Tennessee go from 20, 250 to 2,500. It's a 10x increase in licenses. So you have all those people come into the game because they got sold on this pit, this pipe dream of making fifty thousand dollars an acre. When corn and some other shit make a couple hundred dollars an acre. Um, obviously in the agricultural world, that seems like outstanding, but little did they know the amount of work and effort that goes into it, the amount of sharks that were out there ready to scoop. And then all of that product coming into the end of the market with no place to go because the demand is in there. And then just a quick thing on the demand, a couple things. One, stop selling bullshit. Stop selling fake ass stuff that doesn't even have CBD in it and it's got hemp oil in it or whatever it is. If you're one of these people with this fake shoddy ass product, just close business right now because you're doing a disservice to everybody and the consumers are getting hit. So they try something, it doesn't work. They think, Oh, it's bonk. This shit's all overhyped. It doesn't work. Probably a shitty product or they're hearing all that selling of stuff and everything's overpriced and they don't want to come in and try it. So the majority of people are now aware of CBD. If you look at the numbers, they understand it, that you don't get high, you know, all the basics of it, but they still haven't stepped over the line and turned into a buying consumer. So we haven't seen a conversion of the people who are aware into actually buying yet. But another piece of that is the FDA. The FDA is taking their sweet ass time. I get it. They're busy, but so is everybody else in the freaking world. So they need to put a team together and hammer this thing out and figure it out and get with the proper people what is the regulations going to be? We want the regulations. We're not trying to dodge it. We're not trying to like skirt under them. We got to have some rules to play by. 
it's already too big. I mean, this train is heading downhill. There's no way to stop it. There's too much momentum. And they've admitted that. So let's all play ball together and put some regulations together. That way, big companies like Gaia and these other herbal supplemental companies can come in and play ball without having any kind of legal recourse. And then, boom, the market explodes. And now we can actually have supply and demand kind of working together. I mean, that's a couple of the big issues. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least, to right. say the least. I well, I think, I think it's an interesting time because we're still a self-governing industry. We have a huge opportunity to sort of shape the way that we want to be doing business. Um, I think folks really made a mistake doing a price race to the bottom. Um, and really did a disservice as a whole. We've also done a pretty big disservice by allowing subpar products to be released in such, you know, high volume and doing this sort of um, one hit or quitter type sales structure where people are like building up brands, blowing out a list, and then ditching the yeah. brand doing the same thing. Dude, you've been getting the text messages too. Like I get these text messages. I don't know where they buy my number. I have no idea. Like you get a spam calls or uh, whatever list I'm on. But I got this one the other day. It was a text message about a CBD product. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. So it's a freaking CBD coffee. Cool. I like coffee and I like CBD. So I'm reading through this. Number one, the website link did not match the brand name. It like masked in terms of uh, the website. So I went to a different site. So it's a forwarder with a mask. So it's already red flag number one. And then I'm reading through this thing and like they didn't even change the freaking template. They bought a template. And didn't even change it. Everything in there was talking about oils and tinctures, not CBD coffee. The pictures they changed that made it look like coffee. But it's like, dude, you guys are freaking straight up scamming people. You can't even change your template and take the time to do that and sell something that's decent. I mean, the product, who knows what the hell the product was. But I mean, it's just ridiculous that you guys are buying lists and just doing that quick spam, trying to get some hits. And then if they got to close down in a month or two, but they made a couple hundred grand, then oh, well. And that's killing us. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, um, you know, the entrepreneur in me is like, fucking hey, dude, <laughs> a couple right. hundred grand in a month, like no biggie. But um, the, but the, you know, the humanitarian in me is like, tisk tisk, you right. here's tisk tisk, um, you know. So it's a, it's a fine, it's a fine line to walk. But I, I'm also, you know, I'm kind of educated. I, I'm experienced. I've had, you know, life transformations through the use and education of cannabis and the self-education of cannabis and hemp and how to use phytocannabinoids to, you know, transform the way that I feel and function. And I've personally been a part of helping, you know, families integrate into farming and be building really successful empires, you know, being able to earn and buy their own land and build permaculture projects and, you know, really incredible things. So I know both sides of the coin and it's just difficult. I feel sorry and sad for, you know, the industry as a whole and how we have to misrepresent or be pushy about something that could really, in fact, um, be really incredible. You know, it, it really, in fact, can change and infiltrate multiple industries and really, you know, start to force the hand of the community to do things in a more conscious way, um, which is my love for hemp 
I, it's so funny because I used to make fun of the rainbow people who would be promoting at, you know, all of these festivals like the use of hemp. And I'd be like, okay, we find right. biodiesel. And now I'm like, you guys, biodiesel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, funny, funny story on biodiesel. Uh, so, you know, you can like reuse, like say, Panda Express. They have all that uh, fryer oil, right? And then they, mm-hmm. like a hazmat person has to come pick it up and they have to pay to get it taken away. Well, you can convert cars to run on that, but they have to filter the oil. So I had a Mercedes that was converted to run on uh, biodiesel or reused freaking cooking oil. Um, and so I got a bad batch of oil one time. The guy filtered it warm, so all the fat got through. My freaking car had a heart attack, clogged all the fuel lines with fat. It was unbelievable. No. <laughs> yeah. But... It was badass because like everywhere I drove, it smelled like French fries or like fried chicken or like Chinese food. It was amazing. I loved it. If I was your girlfriend and my hair smelled like fried chicken, I'd be like, this is either the worst curse or the best blessing <laughs> of my life. Either way, I'm getting eaten tonight. <laughs> right. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I love it. Um, Chance, talk to me a little bit about uh, your... You know, you, you've had your hand and still have your hand in multiple areas of industry. And one of those areas is education and information, um, Mm -hmm. marketing, working directly with consumers. It sounds like you've had, you have a good network of folks who have built massive audiences. And so you might really understand the value of being able to create easy to consume directional or how to content. What is the big initiative push for you in the kind of content that you'll be creating this year and releasing, um, you know, this year, what is a huge part of your focus or goal there? And what can we expect when we log in and start to check out what you guys are putting out there? So the heavy basis of the education for right now is going to be geared straight towards um, farmers and the industry in general, uh, more consumer based type stuff down the road. But as of right now, uh, I want to take care of the farmers. There's just not a lot of educational stuff out there. There's not a lot of white papers. There's one white paper that uh, just came out. I think it was um, a guy through the university of Connecticut. I have it on my computer, but, um, all the stuff that's out there in terms of research papers and trials and all that with universities has all mainly been done on uh, fiber grain hemp, the true industrial hemp. So there's not a whole lot of CBD type educational stuff or resources or information. And I was just talking to the um, ag commissioner of uh, Riverside County yesterday and him and I were on the same page. Nobody expected or the politics and regulational side of things did not expect the big CBD push and boom. They were expecting everybody to kind of push into the um, fiber grain side of things. So this kind of took them by storm. So it's puts it into another perspective in terms of why maybe they're making some rules that we don't agree with. They just didn't really expect this. So they didn't know how to adjust necessarily to it and, and, and call the right shot. So it's not necessarily all on them. Um, but that's why we're also working with them and have people on the ground in DC. And Josh has been to DC a bunch of times. Where we're actually meeting with these regulators and, educating them on the true process of this, what really goes into it, what it's really used for, who's doing it. Here's the families that are involved with it. Here's some people that got hurt because of some of the rules. So when they start to see those things, they start to have that like, oh, okay, reality is right in front of their face and they understand what's happening. So one big part of it is networking with uh, regulators in state and counties and in uh, the country of the US uh, to help them understand what is going on and what we need from our side as the industry. But 
the majority of my stuff is going to be targeted towards farmers and just being a resource to answer the questions that everybody's got. Cause I've been in that phase where it's like, okay, we're going to have a hemp farm. What the hell do I do? How do I do it? How do I make rows where do I get my freaking irrigation material? What kind of irrigation should I do? What kind of nutrients do I need? Where do I get my genetics? How do I hang it? Do I need to trim it? Like there's all sorts of stuff that you have to kind of figure out as you go. And I would just rather have it be in a concise spot where somebody can go and see a ton of information geared towards exactly the shit that they're about to get themselves into so that they can walk in educated and have some solutions before the problems actually come up or even better avoid the problems. I like the avoiding of problems. What are um, some of the key partnerships that you're looking for? I know that my net worth is as vast as my network and um, my earning potential is very much based off of the people that I attract into my inner circle. Who are some of the key people that you want to pull in that maybe they are not known by name? Maybe they are. Um, Let's give them a little shout out and tag them in all of this right here. Right. Um, if there are some key people or um, key skill sets that you guys are trying to attract into your circle right now so that you can hit that next milestone, who is the people that you're trying to pull into your team or network right now? So uh, farmers, big and small. So the, the small scale startup farmers, um, I actually designed a entrepreneur kit is what we're calling it. But then we have two other kits that are kind of like a turnkey here's everything you need in a manual to have a successful season. And then obviously um, I'm still here for uh, phone calls and emails so that they can take that and basically step into this whole thing with a um, educational knowledge set of how to do it. And then obviously with our young plants, but then also uh, large scale farmers who are in need of a quality young plant um, supplier. But the, so that's like the front end. So from seed to sale, on the uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I'm trying to close the loop. So I'm trying to pre-connect the farmers in our network with producers or end consumer products. So I know that there is a massive producer in Colorado that supplies some of the big players in terms of their um, product line or their their concentrates. So networking with some companies like that, or even like Mood Thirty Three Beverages or Evo Hemp, places like that. So a lot of these people are getting those kind of singular contracts with um, to like almost have a single supplier for their whole processing facility. So I'm looking to connect with large scale processors that want a network of farmers, which we have that are growing top quality genetics, which we have to try and close that loop. So number one, they're getting high quality biomass and or smokable flour that we can trace all the way back and know exactly where it came from down to the breeder and when it went in and everything else. But also then helping the beginning part of it in terms of the farmer having some sort of idea of some place that he can offput that at the end of the season. So I'm trying to close that loop. So it's farmers who are looking for genetics right now, and then also producers who are going to be looking for biomass or product at the end of the season. So I want to close that loop. Would you say you're more looking for like extractors or manufacturers that have extraction inside of them? Who's that ideal person? Uh, it's the one step before the consumer. So it'd be like the, um, extractor manufacturer, because those are the people that are actually in need of the biomass and, and buying and or splitting in some kind of capacity. But it'd be nice to have a, um, one of those big scale processors that's supplying 
uh, raw distillates, isolates, or even white labeling for a lot of the big known CBD companies. They're all kind of getting supply from like a handful of people. Totally. Secrets out. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I don't necessarily know the name of the uh, manufacturer in Colorado, but trust me, I'm going to find out and I'm going to be contacting them. (laughs) <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I'm I have a very similar vision. I think that, you know, farmers need to have some sense of security and even if the contract, you know, states that they that the manufacturer would purchase at fair market value, you know, right. I think making sure that everybody wins is uh, is a way for this industry to set ourselves apart from the otherwise, you know, less favorable, less popular current corporate model. Well, it's gone bad on both ends. You know, it's gone bad for the producer where they've signed contracts expecting, you know, a certain amount of poundage, even with upfront money to get the farm started. And then at the end of the season, the farmer didn't produce anything. So then that, that producer got screwed and lost the upfront money in terms of the seed money. Then on the other end of the things, you have farmers who signed these contracts thinking that they're going to have an output at the end. And then once they harvested, they're like, oh, well, the market dried up. We don't need it anymore. Screw your contract. So people have gotten screwed on both ends of the deal. So it's not like there's a bad guy in the game here. It's, um, it's just playing the market correctly in terms of supply and demand and having that mapped out at the beginning to know, okay, what's needed? How am I projecting that? What can I expect? Be conservative with your numbers. And then we can make agreements based on that. I have a question. Sure. How is I might have an answer. Oh, oh I hope so. Um, <laughs> or maybe I'm just fishing and pushing buttons at this point. But I want to know, in your, from your perspective, how is the COVID crisis currently affecting cannabis and hemp? Uh, even though it's considered to be an essential business, there's significant fluctuations happening right now, and um, which which I'd love to hear your your feedback on. And then, how do you think it will? be affecting the cannabis and hemp industry this year? I think, honestly, like one of the biggest impacts is, well, for the consumer end of things, anybody that had any kind of retail shop is really hurting right now because obviously they shut down dang near everything. But uh, online sales have obviously gone up, but did they already have an online presence? Did they have a processor? Were they ready for that? So I think uh, there's been a shift to online, but if somebody wasn't ready for that, they're not able to capitalize on it. And if they were counting on retail foot traffic, depending on where their store was located, they may not necessarily know how to drive traffic to a website anyway. So in terms of the consumer end of products, I think that we're seeing an issue with that. Um, but the, the big impact for the whole industry in general is it's kind of put an extra pause on everybody. And I mean, I'm talking to... I know several breeders, I know several seed sellers, a um, couple other clone companies, and everybody's seeing the same thing. Like everybody's kind of sitting, waiting, but they were planning on going to hemp uh, uh, conventions and all these different things to continue the network, continue to kind of get a, a finger on the pulse of the industry of what's going on. Everybody knows what's going on. There's a ton of biomass, everybody's sitting on shit, nobody's buying, and smokable flour has become the moving market right now. So there's nowhere, you don't need to talk to anybody else to figure that out. That's the case. Have a plan for what you're going to do. Start small, be conservative. But the it's really stalled the industry out big time. I mean, we're, what's the date? Like, um, I mean, we're coming up on May. It's April 15th. So in one month, 
I mean, even now I'm planting at the end of this month in Nevada because we can, but there's, it's time to move. If you're, if you're planting and, and uh, farming this year, it's time to make the time to make the move and time to make the step and figure out what, what you're going to do. I think people have just got put into this um, stall where they're just kind of sitting and waiting and wondering, should I get in? Should I not get in? Um, what's going to happen with the industry? I mean, we kind of, we already know the interim rules went in. DEA thing got yanked. Everything else kind of stands. Certain states are on the fence. Some are still under the 214 rules. Some are under the 18, some are the interim, some are Delta 9, some are total THC, some are 15-day window, some of them are 30-day window. Know your state rules, know what you're getting into. But um, it's, it's, it's going to be a huge tell in terms of the next month, two months of what this industry is actually going to look like in terms of who came back in, what new people came in, and then how many people left. For example, like uh, Oregon, 75% less licensees this year huge shift. Washington has a, has more licensees. So it's, uh, it's kind of like, it's very cloudy right now in terms of how this industry is going to look in terms of who's in it. But I think overall, we all know where it's going. And I think the people that play their cards right, right now, stay small, build your foundation. And then as this thing starts to get um, traction, and especially as the FDA regulations come out, um, then we're going to see amazing growth and the people that were in it and have the foundation are going to be able to scale that a lot more easy. But then in terms of moving forward after this, um, it's hard to say. I, 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 I mean, I don't think there'll be much post-COVID impact. Well, I, I take it back. It depends on what political bullshit they want to play in terms of new rules and everything else. But um, I think we were already on a track route in terms of uh, progressing with regulations and everything else that I don't think it'll have a huge impact uh, moving forward. Like in a year, nobody's going to be talking about COVID and the, the, the new new moves they had to make. In my opinion, I don't know. I'm so anxious. I'm like, in my opinion... They're going to open up, they're going to open everything up. Everyone's going to be like, ah, summertime. It's amazing. Forget, forget everything that just happened. We love summer. And then it's going to be flu season again. And everyone's going to be like, shut down, lockdown. Conservatives and left-wingers alike fly together towards fear, which is, you know, really, really challenging for a lot of businesses. And so I'm, I'm anxious to see what's going to happen economically. I mean, there's this poor man on the other side of my block was like, I'm like, yeah, Hey, how's it going? He's like, yeah, it's been better moving back in with my mom yeah. today. And I'm 43 oh, man. Lost, lost my job and my girl. I'm like, Ooh, and you're moving back with mom. That is a rough yeah. gig. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a reality. I mean, that's a strong reality of what's happening. And just in, in uh, agriculture in general, uh, we're going to see some serious supply chain issues. I mean, uh, serious supply chain issues. There's full-on manufacturing plants that are shutting down. So grab your bacon while you can. There's serious vegetable farmers that are full-on dumping whole uh, fields of crops because the supply chain has changed. If you're used to supplying restaurants and now all those are closed, it's not easy to shift over into now supplying grocery stores. Like it's not a quick transition. So these mm -hmm. guys just aren't able to dump off their food. 
So all this stuff is getting just wasted into the field, which sucks because food banks who have food for the needy are running out of food because people need it so bad. And like these farmers are forced to dump their stuff. So it'd be nice if we could kind of bridge that gap and figure something out that would make it work. But yeah, we're going to see some definite overall economic impact from this as it trickles out with still months to come. I mean, depending on how the stimulus bill affects small business and people. But um, after that, though, I think we're going to see a serious economic rebound. Um, like oh, we're yeah, come back strong Trump. as America. Yeah, we're going to come back strong as hell. I mean, there's no, we're the strongest nation in the world. I mean, we got a badass economy. Our GDP is amazing. We were crushing it. Stock market was crushing it. Unemployment was crushing it. I mean, it's just we've been there before and we will come back to it. So I'm not, I'm not nervous about us surviving in general as uh, in terms of the economy. And I do have confidence in the administration that they'll make the right moves to make sure that the people get taken care of so they don't lose their ass and that the businesses can stay in play. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like everybody's got their best guess, but it really has to play out and we have to see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. I never thought I'd witness anything in my lifetime. And I was talking about this with my mom, you know, uh, who is an avid um, advocate for holistic health and well-being and, you know, um, raised, I mean, I didn't, I remember the first day that I ever like saw a cereal box in my house and it was like a processed something that had more than eight ingredients in it. Right. And I mean, my mom never fed me anything from a can, a box, nothing. It was all just beautifully homemade and given to me. Uh, we were extremely, you know, poor growing up, but I, I would have never known it because we ate so well. Um, and so I was sitting down and I was talking with my mom about it. And she was like, I'm so concerned about, you know, Nina's reality, my, my daughter, who's three years old now, and my 17 year old, who's ha- who is a, you know, undefeated national uh, state champion for football, you know, let's go. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Just killing it at one of the tops, um, you know, schools here in Colorado and was in full stride to complete a strong year. And then they just cut it off right in the middle. And he's having to deal with the fact that he can't be social and do the things that are normal. I mean, imagine being this Adonis 17 year old with, yeah, right. Freaking stud. Yeah. And now you can't go see your girl. Like what the hell just happened to your life? And just sports and working out in general. Like that's an adrenaline rush. That's an endorphin rush. That's like free therapy to have that stripped away from you is, is, uh, severe. I mean, it's it's hard to rebound. It's huge. And for this young man, and so he's just trying to figure it out. So I got him to do um, Russell Brunson's One Funnel Away Challenge. And I'm challenging him to go through like all of the dot-com secret stuff and the expert secrets and traffic secrets. Got those books. Got the books. (laughs) Russell's got some good stuff. Man, he's killing it right now. And it just has like... Anyways, and he's perfectly relatable because he's also an athlete and has all these damn kids. And, you know, so it's, right. it's just such a great story. And my son is way, way into it. But for parents who don't have that kind of like wherewithal to like get their kid involved and how are they patching these like social addicted kids through, right. you know, it's such a major crux in their whole life. So that's, that's something that I'm definitely paying attention to. So we're pulling him into the family business, letting him release an e-com store uh, to our audience with some paraphernalia and, you know, designs. He's going to run some design competitions and stuff. And he's nice. Love it. It. So it should be pretty cool. Um, I'd see, love that's, to hear- that's a, that's, 
Go ahead. Is that they, uh, everybody's learning new social skills. Everybody's learning new relational skills and hopefully conversational skills because a lot of people are stuck at home together trying to figure shit out. Yeah. Um, it, but it's giving this great opportunity to come together like what you're talking about and do some fa- stuff as a family unit and to progress the whole family forward. But secondarily, outside of hemp and cannabis, like if you're listening to this, this was a wake-up call. So if you were out of shape or sick, this thing hit, you didn't get a warning. It was too late already. So now is the time that you need to get your ass in gear and take care of yourself. Healthcare is broke. Healthcare doesn't mean anything, but you got insurance in terms of the U.S. definition of it. And that ain't healthcare. People need to shift into self-care and take care of themselves and start taking proper nutrition, start doing proper exercise, taking the vitamins specifically that you need. Because when something hits, it's too late to now all of a sudden try to get healthy and avoid getting sick and getting the new virus. You need to be prepared, prevention. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. So. I would challenge everybody, take care of your shit right now because this definitely is not the last pandemic or virus or whatever that we're going to see. And I can tell you, if you're healthy, the body has innate intelligence. It knows how to handle stuff. So if you give it what it needs, it will handle what it needs to handle. Man, so, so I mean, preach on because my cousin, my cousin was just telling me this. He's like, you know, Sonia... I'm not so concerned about the disease. What I'm concerned about is our our own body's ability to process illness. And we as a society are so stagnant emotionally, physically, you know, mm-hmm. in our digestive systems, we're not making choices. And the excuse is the fact that we don't have any time. We don't have time for this because we're out working. We don't have time for that because we are blah, blah, right. blah. And now we have- Now you got all the time. Has it shifted? Has it shifted? Have you made any changes? Because you got all the time exactly. right now. And now, yeah, and I now I think a lot of people are faced with the concern of like, whoa, I have the willingness, but do I have the knowledge? You know, do I have the steps? Do I have, you know, do I have the the strength? Do I have a community around me? You know, to be able to do it. That's why I love models like Lady Boss. I'm putting together. I'm relaunching my program. You know, the transformation code to our audience to help people. Just like I wrote a smoothie recipe book, for instance, of all the stuff that I did while I lost a hundred pounds in nine months. Um, Dang, that's badass! Congrats. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, but it wasn't like starve yourself. And and even when you look at me, like I'm not some bony broad. Like I'm an everyday. You know beautiful, voluptuous woman. Um, and I'm super confident in my ability to, you know, help my family be healthy because of the things that I learned when I was doing self-aware care or when I was becoming self-conscious. It's actually not a negative thing to be aware of how you feel and conscious of the decisions that you're making and the results that it's going to give you. So I second everything you said because it's so important. We can't depend on outside sources for information. And this would be my piece of advice. And I'm going to ask you yours. My piece of advice to you guys while you're listening to this and considering, you know, how to build success and prosperity in the face of adversity, number one is to ask seven layers deep. Ask yourself and ask of the source of information seven layers deep. If they tell you something, don't just take something for va- you know face value. Throw some salt on that thing and see if it'll sizzle. You want right. to you want to find out what's underneath the surface and what's the root of the information. What's the root cause of your physical or emotional or mental 
block stagnation? What is cultivating the dis-ease or discomfort in your life? Mm -hmm. And start to really consider that the decisions you make moment to moment, day to day, are in fact, you know, accumulated um, a, a the foundation of the result that you're getting now. So I think while you guys are sitting at home and incubating that we, instead of looking at the COVID curse, really look at the COVID blessing here because it is yeah. a disguised blessing and, and a real opportunity. And a lot of people come to me wanting to talk of the conspiracy of all of this stuff. And sure, there's some negative energy and vibration that that is surrounding this whole thing. And I could go off on a real mean tangent around, you know, our uncle Bill Gates or, you know, Donald Trump or any one of these guys, but I don't think that it serves me to put energy in that direction. And so if we're talking about, you know, whether you're trying to cultivate a business or trying to shift to the results that you're getting in your health or the health of your family, you have to consider where are you putting your energy? Is it towards the blessing or the curse of your current circumstances? For us, it's really been a blessing. My kids are at home. We're spending more time talking. We've reoriented and gotten onto a rhythm here where we're really working collaboratively instead of competitively to get to the next thing that serves us like my son's football or my daughter's dance or, you know, Nina's preschool, everything is self-serving. It's them. They want to be the most important thing. And now we're looking at it as a family. Like how can we be important? Right. That's awesome. Really big blessing. And so I encourage you guys to find the blessing in this and really crack the opportunity because there's nothing but opportunity in the face of adversity. But ask this question, who do I want to solve a problem for? And how big is the problem that I can solve? How many people are are experiencing that same problem? And therein lies your opportunity. And you do have the capability to solve that, whether it's cannabis or outside of cannabis. Answering that question is the first step to building prosperity and success in anything that you do. Um, What can be some key pieces of advice that you can offer, Chance? I'm I'm really interested to hear for the budding entrepreneurs out there or just the day-to-day, everyday person whose life has been transformed and they're looking for a new opportunity. What would be one or two key pieces of advice that you could offer them while they're making a transition or trying to make that quantum leap um, from startup to you know, successful business owner, what are some key things that they need to know to be successful? Well, I love what you said about solve a problem because if you solve a problem, somebody has that problem and they will buy the solution to that. So I think with the whole Mad Men uh, show and when mass marketing came out, it was a whole pitch show, pitch some shit that some people don't need, but convince them that they need to buy it. That's not necessarily solving a problem. That's just getting people to buy shit. So solve an actual problem, which number one, you're going to feel good about somebody's problem. Number two, people are going to buy it. And number three, it's going to have uh, sustained growth. You're going to be able to build that thing. So I like what you said there. Um, the seven layers deep, especially going into this thing, ask, 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 ask. Feel like you're being annoying? Ask another question. Side tangent, that includes your doctors. So just because some guy comes in with a stethoscope and a white coat and he tells you some shit, that doesn't mean it's a fact for you specifically. Get a uh, second opinion. Do your own research. Have intuition, know your body, get to learn yourself. Um, side tangent back off. So seven layers deep, ask. So if you're talking to a consultant, if you're talking to a genetics company, a producer, ask them questions. Ask to talk to a partner. Ask to talk to a manager. Ask to talk to the secretary. Ask to visit their facility. 
If you can't, ask them to FaceTime and walk you around. Because I can tell you, if they are legit and they want your business and they are good at what they do, they will not care. They want to answer your questions. They want to be a service. And if not, then they are not the right person to work with you. So go deep and ask and do your research. Um, and you like what you were talking about in terms of the pandemic or the family unit, you can focus on, ah, oh, shit, we're stuck inside. Or you can focus on, oh, shit, we're stuck inside. So you get to work together and do some things. You get to figure some stuff out. You get what you focus on. That's it. If you focus on this, you're going to get that. If you focus on that, you're going to get that. So focus on the positivity. Yes, be aware of some of the bullshit that's out there in terms of like some of the stuff we just talked about. Um, shady political things and you know pushing uh, health agendas. Be aware of it, but don't focus on it because it's not going to have any impact on you if you're going in a different direction anyway. So you're going to get what you focus on. So don't focus on the negative stuff of the hemp industry. Be aware of it so you can make smart decisions, but focus on what you're building and where you're going. And then uh, lastly, I would say uh, to steal it from Simon Sinek, which is one of the best books I've read in the last year. It's called Start With Why. Um, so if you have not heard that book or read that book, I highly suggest it. Simon Sinek, Start With Why. But know your why. Why are you doing this? Why do you want to build this company? Why this specific industry? Why that specific product? If it's because you want to make money, probably not going to sustain you through some rough times like this because you can just go somewhere else and make some money. You have to have a strong enough why that's going to carry you through the mud and the bullshit because you know what you're shooting towards and you know why you're doing it, the real why. Um, so I would say that's a huge aspect in any business or entrepreneurial endeavor is to know why you're doing it. It's to really dig deep on that and to know internally, spiritually, emotionally, um, educationally, like why are you doing this and uh, what do you want to get out of it? That would be that would be my advice to anybody in this industry or just entrepreneurialism in general. Rockin' advice. Chance, where can folks find you if they are interested in following along with your journey or the things that you are getting ready to put out there? Um, the easiest for me personally or the thing that I'm most active on is my Instagram. Uh, I say active. I'm active on stories more than posting pictures, uh, but... The stories are live and daily, um, which is a little bit more intimate in my opinion. So my Instagram is at Chance Dite. Chance, like take a chance, last name D-I-T-E, first and last name. And then also the um, uh, you can hit us up at Cultivars and somebody will be able to link you with me um, either through the website. I'm on the uh, team section of the website or just send an email general. But my email at Cultivars is cdite at cultivars.com. Those would be the best ways. Rockin'. Well, I'm so happy to have you on the show and super grateful that you spent your time with us here today. I'm like so stoked on Cultivaris and everything that you're doing, the role that you're playing. And I'm just super grateful for you coming on the show and talking about your story. Awesome. I appreciate it. I think uh, we have a lot of uh, synergistic <laughs> ideas and kind of heart space that um, I didn't really know going into it, but it's always refreshing to meet somebody else that has that same kind of heart and passion for not just an industry, but life in general. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And looking forward to um, further collaboration with Cultivaris and with yourself as well. <clears throat> for those of you guys who are tuning in, 
Thanks so much for being a part of our Medical Secrets community and Hemp Revolution family. As you know, we live to serve you guys, and it's truly our mission to bring you the truth about cannabis and hemp so that you can make educated and empowered decisions about how you want to care for yourself and the people that you love or otherwise participate in the way that this incredible industry is unfolding before our very eyes. Check us out at medicalsecrets.com if you're looking for products that you can depend on to deliver the results you're looking for. And if you're a budding entrepreneur or business owner in this space, I'd love to hear your story. Sonia at medicalsecrets.com is where you can reach me and I'll look forward to connecting with you. I invite you now when you're listening to this interview to take one simple action, like and share and tag five people that you believe this will make a difference for. When you take this small action, you are a part of helping us transform the way that we think about and talk about cannabis and hemp in our families and communities. Because you have taken this simple action, we have been able to impact 300 million people plus lives around the world and quite literally moving the legal, moving the needle forward for safe and legal access to the people who need and want not only the information, but the products that are supporting so many lives um, right now. So thank you. Take this small action. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Sonia Gomez, and this is The Hemp Revolution. We'll see you on our next show, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. We took notes on this episode for you, along with all the links and resources mentioned in the episode. Get them free on the show notes page here at www.medicalsecrets.com. If you love this show and our content, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really want to help us get the message out there, please rate, review, and tell all your friends. With your help, we can continue to reach the world with our message. And until next time, we hope you join the hemp revolution. And we challenge you to dream big and love the life you live.